Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Like I said, we'll be in First uh, Kings chapter 13. Uh, before we begin, uh, I've entitled this uh, lesson, A Tale of Two Prophets, and uh, I speak of a tale not as a, a fictional story, but a, a story uh, that can have fact in it, but often a tale is not just something we use it often as a, a fictitious story, uh, but it can be a, a story that produces facts that has a supernatural aspect to it, and I think that's what we see here in First Kings chapter 13. But uh, I was asked a question one time on an exam about, uh, can you tell uh, this, about the story of a prophet who was eaten by a lion? And here I was in this uh, exam, and I could think of Daniel not being eaten by a prophet, uh, not by being eaten by a lion. I could think of Solomon eating from a lion. I could think of a story of a prophet calling bears uh, upon children for calling him bald. I could think of uh, a, a prophet and a talking donkey. Uh, I, I could think of uh, Satan roaming around like a roaring lion. I could think of the Lion of Judah. I could think of maybe in, Second Sa- in uh, Psalm 22 where here David prays and he says, Save me from the mouth of a lion. Uh, but I could not and did not know of the story about a prophet being eaten by a lion. So after you do an exam and a question like this stomp, stumps you, you uh, go and find the answer. Well, that's what I do anyway. And so I came across this story. Obviously, I'd read it before. It just wasn't in, the, in my memory. We don't uh, tell this. This is in the kids' storybook Bibles. It's not uh, one that you do frequently with the, the kids around the table. Uh, so I didn't necessarily think about this. But here's a story that uh, we don't really know uh, or think about a lot. And uh, here, you know, why is this story here? What what can we learn about this story about this uh, lion been eaten, uh, prophet been eaten by a lion? So maybe uh, you you've had this question, you know the story, and uh, why why is it in the Bible? What can we understand from it? Uh, but last week we began First uh, Kings chapter thirteen, got up to verse ten, and we left with the conclusion that here the the prophet goes and confronts Jeroboam, this man of God from Judah. Uh, Shemaiah, in, in, in my opinion, uh, who, but he confronted Jeroboam at the altar, the altar which had distracted and, and would turn people's hearts away from worshiping the true Lord. Uh, this will be known as the sin, and this will lead them astray. This, uh, at the end of this chapter in, in verse 34, and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. However, we noted last week that there's this weird excursion in this passage. Really, the story could go from verse 10 to verse 33 quite easily. Verse 7 and and 10 finishes with the king saying to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. The man of God uh, said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go with you. I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. So it, I w- so was commanded uh, me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. 
So he went another way and did not return by the way. And, you, and he came to Bethel. And then you could almost just jump to verse 33. And this thing Jer- Jeroboam did, uh, did not turn away from his evil, but he made priests for the high places. Again, from among all the people, any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut off and destroy it from the face of the earth. So the story could just quite easily have gone that way, but yet we have this story that's uh, inserted in the middle here of this prophet and what he does. Why is it here? What can we learn from it? And we need to start by remembering that we saw this important principle here um, uh, last week about how prophets are, uh, the office is placed there Prophets uh, called by God to be able to speak and warn the people of God of their ways and to be able to, we always think of prophets as as predicting the future, but often they're warning of what will come if they do not heed the word that is given to them, a sign that will come of judgment. Um, And so, and particularly what we highlighted last week is that the relationship between the prophet, the man of God, and the king is, is a good sign of how they relate. It's very important throughout the, all of 1st and 2nd Kings. How does the king and the people relate to the prophet, warning them and calling them to repent? Do they repent? How do they act once confronted with the word of God? So last week we saw the office of a prophet, and this week we look not so much as the office of the prophet, but the nature of the prophet, the, their human nature that is connected here. We're going to see these um, in the story through this this passage and what is kind of a scene changes. Um, You you see this story kind of move by location. And there's five major scenes in this kind of story from uh, 1 Kings chapter 13. We see the altar by the altar. That's what we looked at last week mainly from verses 1 to 10. Then we see under the tree at the table. The fourth is on the road, and the last one is in the grave. I found this in a commentary by a a person called Mead and referenced by Dale Ralph Davis. I thought it was helpful in the movement and progression of the story. So, from our story last week, we looked at that uh, a lot uh, last week by the altar. But uh, what's important to remember from last week's story, uh, last week's uh, in verse 9, is the highlighting of this trifold command that was given to the prophet by the word of the Lord. Jeroboam invites him back to his house. He's going to give him a reward. And the prophet turns around and tells us exactly what the Lord told him to say. And there's three things that he was not to do. He was told that you shall not neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So here he is told these three things he's not allowed to do. And we need to keep this in the back of our mind as we uh, remember this story. So the first, well, the second part of this scene, this second scene is under the tree, which is verses 11 to 19. Let me read that for us now. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And his son showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me, 
So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home and eat come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. So we see here, uh, uh, carry on from here, is the public nature of prophecy is here. Jeroboam was called out by this prophet. We see this interaction here. But here, uh, there's two sons that are able to be able to hear what happened at the altar. So we see that prophecy is, is often, although it might be recorded and it seems that it's only between one or two people, sometimes it has a very public nature to it. So it's not merely Jeroboam just being warned in, 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 in some quiet place, but it's public that people, news carries, that here these two sons are able to hear the story, go back to their dad who lives in Bethel, which is where the altar was, where they were called out, and hear um, that people know about this prophecy. So here we understand an important part of this prophecy, that pu- prophecy is public by nature. And that is often to be able to show the authority of God in his declaration of the word, but also his sovereignty uh, to be able to carry his word out. So here we meet an old prophet in Bethel. Uh, Now, a lot of this story can be filled with speculation, and that uh, often is unhelpful. I think there's, there's lots of good questions that we can ask, and and try and understand, but sometimes the Bible just doesn't give, it, give us answers to the questions that we're trying to ask. So why did God send a prophet from Judah to go and prophesy in Bethel if there's already a prophet in Bethel? Why does he do that? Who is this prophet? Eli's house was located in Bethel. Uh, Eli trade Samuel. Uh, was there another prophet there at this time? Ahijah is in uh, Shiloh, uh, so there are prophets around. Does that mean that they're in, in ta- towns and regions? Um, if the man of God is Shemaiah, could this be Adu, who's another prophet who's mentioned in Second Chronicles? If it's if the man of God in Second in First Kings chapter thirteen is I do, which is what the Talmud speculates, Josephus also mentions this as well. Then maybe this old prophet is Shemaiah. Again, all of this is merely speculation. What we're told and what is emphasized in this passage is where these prophets come from. That's the major thing that is told about these two prophets. That's inconsistent. Inconsi- we're told what is old. We're not told of the age of the other one, but specifically that this prophet, this man of God, comes from Judah, and this man of God, or this prophet, comes from uh, Bethel. So the focus is more on their origins, 
And I think more specifically, not just their origins of their human nature, their frail nature, that even from Israel or Judah, that they're both sinners. I think that's the major emphasis here. But the old prophet is told about what this man of God from Judah says uh, to Jeroboam from his two sons. They find the man of God underneath a tree, and they go ask him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? Now again, we're only told what we're told. We're not told the motives of why this man of God from Judah went and sat underneath a tree. Uh, It happens several times in Scripture. This is one of the first times that uh, this specific thing is recorded, so it's hard to be able to read into something with things that haven't yet happened. Elijah goes, sits underneath a broom tree. You have uh, uh, Jonah who goes, sits underneath a plant that the Lord sprouts up and then destroys. Um, Jonah's uh, kind of uh, waiting uh, in there, but uh, Elijah's kind of moaning and groaning, uh, complaining there underneath. But we're... Again, we're, we're moving into the realm of speculation. We're not told. We're just told that he's sitting under a tree. But he's here. He hasn't traveled back to Judah yet. He's still in Bethel. Now, again, there could be a positive reason to this. Generally, most of the commentators seem to hit that it's a negative. Uh, but there could be a positive that it's, it's a, it's a, he's trying to rest before going on his journey it's very sunny out there. He's not to eat or drink, so therefore he's trying to save his energy in the, the heat of the day before he travels, maybe in the evening. We're not told. But here, we see this tension here, that this tension that drives the whole story is this old prophet from Bethel asks the man of God from Judah to be able to come back to his house. Come home and eat, with, eat bread, in verse um, 15. So, the, the, from Bethel to Jerusalem is not very long. Uh, you strategically, Jeroboam set up an altar at Bethel because this is one of the ways, the main reason, way that people from Israel would travel down to Jerusalem. Why travel all the way down to Jerusalem to be able to make a sacrifice when you can just stop on the way in Bethel. Very, very strategic. It's, it's probably about five to six miles, so it's not very far from Jerusalem. And more specifically, it's not very far from the border. It's not very far from the border of Jerusalem. So here, this man, uh, the, this old prophet from Bethel, uh, asks this man of God to be able to come home and eat bread with me. Now, this prophet responds as he did with the king in Jeroboam, where he he responds and says that he is not to return with you, to go with you, neither shall I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. And again, he he quotes directly and exactly what he said to Jeroboam, what God said to him, those three things he could not do. He could not eat bread, drink water, or return the same way that he went. Now, we need to stop here and and understand something very, very um, important before we move on. And that is that here we see the prophet from Judah, the, the man of God from Judah, is very, very clear about what God has commanded him to do, or specifically not to do. He has a very clear command from God what he is not to do. Now, we saw him as a man of God, 
tell Jeroboam exactly what's going to happen. We see the sign and wonder of, of Jeroboam's hand withering. We see the whole altar catching up in flames and things been tipped out of it. The ashes been tipped out of it. So again, we have the confirmation that he is a prophet who has rightly understood the word of God. And here he has told very clearly and concisely what God had told told him. But he responds to Jeroboam and says, no, I'm not to return home with you. He immediately, in verse 10, he went the other way and did not return the way that he came to Bethel. We see him obedient to God's command when Jeroboam confronts him. The tension that drives this story is now how does this man of God from Judah respond to the exact same plea or request? This variable and change in verses 18 and 19, this twist that, that under, changes the whole story. Verse 18, this old man, this old prophet from Bethel says, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. So here, this prophet, this man of God from Judah, is told by God not to drink bread, not to, um, not to eat bread, drink water, or return back the way that he came. Now, the old prophet from Bethel tells him the opposite. That God told him through an angel to be able to um, come back and uh, to his house. Now we need to look at this in, in two different ways. The first is from the prophet's perspective, and then from what we're given through the Scripture. This added information on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The first here is the prophet from Judah changes his mind. Given the this same situation, he turns down dinner and the king, half the kingdom from Jeroboam, because of what God says. But now he responds and does, and he goes back and eats with him. What, why does he change his mind? He's, he's got this conflicting two words of God, right? One that he has received and one from this old uh, prophet from Bethel. But this old prophet from Bethel says that an angel spoke to me. Prophet from Judah is given a word of God, the prophet, but the old prophet says an angel. Now again, we need to understand here. Paul speaks and, and warns the church in Galatian, uh, in Galat- letter to the Galatians, that but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that you preach to you, let him be accursed. So here, the foundation is the true gospel. Even if Paul comes around and preaches a different gospel, turns and changes his mind, Paul says, don't trust us. Trust the true gospel that has been passed down to you. Do not trust, even if an angel was to come. But why does this prophet listen? Why does the man of God from Judah listen? Again, it's speculation. Um, I don't think it has much to do about the angel, the, the method in which God speaks. Uh, this is Somewhat, you see it in, in Judges chapter 13. This is a man of God, an angel, a messenger, uh, gives that looks like a man. This, uh, uh, the, the prophecy about Solomon being born, uh, Samson being born. And here, uh, so, so it's not the origins, the angel over the word of God. I think 
the thing that really defines this movement is the first thing that this prophet says. I also am a prophet just as you are. So here, right at the very beginning, this prophet, this man of God from Judah, thinks, oh, we are the same. Just as I receive words from God, so too does this prophet receive words from God. So we need to be aware, just because someone gives us the same name or or identifies as the same uh, group, I'm a Christian too doesn't then therefore make what they say true. Now, it doesn't then mean you go on and search for errors and falsehoods under every single rock and trying to, to uh, discern, um, you know, every single... Uh, I think we should test everything, but I think we, we need to be cautious by over-judging or over, you know, over-critical. But here we have distort, distort the truth that people will... will tell us that we'll let our guards down. And I think he trusts him because he says he's a prophet. He didn't trust Jeroboam, who was a king, who obviously was walking in errors, but he freely listens to this other prophet. Just because someone calls himself a pastor doesn't mean that they are truly a pastor, a shepherd of God's flock. We're not, we shouldn't be surprised. Paul writes about it in, in 2 Corinthians that here there's people that are boasting that they, they're carrying out the same work and the same mission as Paul. But he says in verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So you hear Paul saying that we shouldn't be surprised that there's false apostles, that there's false prophets during different periods of time. Just because they claim to be an apostle doesn't mean it's true. Or Paul writes in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that there's going to be a time in the last days where people will be lovers of self, uh, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, un- unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal and not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and lead them astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Or in Jude, it speaks of these shepherds who continually go on feeding themselves. So here, the error is that the the man of God from Judah does not test the word. He does not. He automatically assumes that this prophet from Bethel is a true prophet in what he says, but we actually find out. Just like Satan in the garden. Did God really say? Oh, you will surely not die. God knows that when you eat of it, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. So this prophet from Judah, again, speculation, why are his motives changed? What makes him change and shift? We're not told specifically, but here... This prophet from Judah um, 
maybe wanted to be known by this prophet of Bethel. He doesn't want a, a half of the kingdom, but maybe esteem or something. But the second aspect is not merely just from the prophet's perspective. The second aspect is we're told very specifically under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that something that the prophet did not know. And that the, the prophet from Bethel lied to him. Now this is important again because we see sin within the prophet, the old prophet from Bethel. A truth that we see and understand throughout all of scripture that here prophets are sinners. We've seen king sin. We see priests, priests sin. And now we clearly see the prophet's sin. Now often that's not a huge aspect of a, a prophet's message because often a prophet does live a holy life. But we need to understand that here prophets also are sinners. So there, then there's movement from underneath the tree to the third scene of at the table in verses 20 to 23. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and eaten bread and drunk water in the place which you, he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet who he had brought back. So we see another prophecy here. Another one from the old prophet from Bethel. And the man of God from Judah is not, to, is not going to be able to return back to where he had come. Now again, we can focus on a, a lot of questions. Why is this? What? Uh, aspect, how do we understand this, but we can only give and focus on what the Bible focuses on. And the emphasis here from the old man, the old prophet from Bethel, is this man of God from Judah's disobedience. Three things we're told throughout this passage is that he disobeyed the word of the Lord, that he did not keep the command of the Lord. And he came back and ate and drunk in the place that the Lord had told him, eat no bread and drink no water. So three times the emphasis of this prophecy is on this man of Judah's disobedience to what God had told him to do. But there's one outcome. What's the punishment that is going to come? And the punishment is your body shall not come to the tomb of your father's. The donkey is saddled, and then we move on to the next scene of on the road in verses 34, uh, 24 to 30, uh, 28. And as he went away, and a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it, and the lion also stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord spoke to him. 
And he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. So this scene really starts with this uh, scene of the, the, the prophet, the donkey, the lion, and it ends with the prophet and the lion and the donkey. But here's the supernatural, that part of the tale, is this supernatural part, is here the lion is, lion takes this man off the donkey, kills him, throws him off. He sits there while the donkey is unscathed and waiting. Dale Rafe Davis puts it very funny, funny as he does, and he says that here the lion is on a leash from Yahweh. That here uh, we see the supernatural aspect of this prophecy that is worked out. Again, the, the focus is on this man of God's, or the prophet from Judah's, disobedience. In verse 36, again, what is repeated here. The repetition in these stories is very, very important. And the prophet who had brought him back, that's the old prophet from um, Bethel, from the way he heard it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to lion which he has torn and killed him, according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. So here again, the focus is on this man of God, this man of God from Judah, his disobedience to God's command. And then we move to the last scene there at the grave in verse 29 to 32. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass." So here he is, this man of God from Judah. And we see this prophet call him a brother. Alas, my brother, he weeps for him. We're reminded again of these two nations been divided, Israel and Judah. Uh, yet they still identify as siblings. And the bones here are laid in the grave of the old prophet from Bethel. And the old prophet asked for his bones to be laid there as well. Now again, we need to notice a couple of things in this story. A couple of things that really uh, we need to, again, connect the dots. That We see two prophets, one from Judah, one from Israel. And we're not told much about who they are. But we can know some very important things. Both of them are sinners. One disobeyed the word of the Lord that was directly commanded to him. That is the emphasis of the man of God from Judah. The other one disobeyed by breaking God's law of lying to him. Both are clearly sinners. One lied, one disobeyed. Yet, the truth is, both can still be prophets used by God to be able to rightly profess and declare what God is going to do. That is one of the big emphases of this story. Although this prophet is disobedient, 
what he prophesied on the altar at the very beginning is exactly what is going to come to pass. So we need to understand that prophets, although sinful, can still be used by God. That here, the prophet from Judah, the man of God from Judah, he still got buried. He was still buried. Now this often in Scripture is a sign of respect, but also a sign and belief in the resurrection, that the resurrection was to come. But the important part of the story is it doesn't stop here. And I don't mean that it keeps on going from verse 33 to the verse, verse 34, what we read there. It's actually, this story is at the start of the divided kingdoms, and it appears at the end underneath in 2 Kings chapter 23. Here Josiah comes, which had been prophesied by this man of God to Jeroboam, that Josiah would come, destroy the, uh, the altars. But here you see in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 15 to 20, that here uh, this uh, high place that was erected at, at, at Jeroboam by uh, Jeroboam of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place and pulled down and burned, just, uh, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs and there on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed, who had predicted these things. That's exactly the prophecy that uh, this man of God from Judah had declared would happen 300 years beforehand. But then Josiah turns in verse 17 and says, What is this monument that I see? That the man of the city told him is... It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said to them, Let him be. Let no man move his bones, so that let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines also in the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to to all that he had done uh, that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. So here we see the fulfillment of what this man of God, this disobedient man of God's prophecy actually come to pass. Now some have tried to show that here the, uh, the old prophet from Bethel is sharing the tomb with this man of God from Judah. And so too, this, man, this old prophet from Bethel is saved because of his burial in the same tomb that he shares. And so they kind of make a connection there that from this union, you might say, of sharing the same grave, so that is our union with Christ... So they might go to something, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so they kind of make that connection. Now I think they're possibly, but I think what you emphasize here, what the emphasis of this story is the prophet's disobedience. The prophet is disobedient, but he is still a true prophet. Why did he die? Why was he buried 
in this grave that was not his is because of his own sin. So we think you can make those connections, but I think it's a very non-organic jump to the New Testament. I think we're, we've got to be very cautious about how you make those jumps to the gospel. Because I think, I think that's very dangerous in that. But I think here the, the le- lesson, the major lesson here is that here you have vessels that are used uh, by God to be able to de- declare his word. So you have sinful prophets used to be able to proclaim the word who actually come uh, to both prophets are saved. Both prophets are saved in the end, although both of them are sinners. That sin does not annul the word of God. This is important because many people want to twist and distort God's word based on sinful men writing it. And they explain that, well, Paul is just a sinner who's brought up in a culture that sins, and therefore we can't trust everything that Paul writes. So then we have to play the judge by sitting there and saying, well, is this his sinful side writing this, or is the Spirit writing this? Well, this passage shows that they can be sinners, but what they declare is also still called the Word of God. So I think that's an important aspect here. That sin doesn't stop from using men, because, or else we'd be hopeless. We'd be helpless. Who's going to minister the Word of God to us now? We're all sinners. <laughs> How can we trust what the Bible tells us? Because our, our doctrine says that all of us are sinners. Every single man, except for Jesus, the sinless one who came. Jesus didn't write a single word from Scripture as in through a pen. It was penned through men. So therefore, the whole scripture would be up in question. But I think there's also something more than just vessels been used by God. I think that what we need to understand that it's a tale between these two prophets. One of the major emphases in this passage is that these two prophets, although both sinners, come from Israel and Judah. That here, it's not merely just a tale of two prophets, it's a tale of two kingdoms. And how they relate and respond specifically to the word of God. Will they listen to the word of God? Will they obey the word of God? One commentator, I think, helpfully points out that the individuals mirror their kingdoms. In their tragedy, poured ends the tragic destiny awaiting Israel and Judah. Israel has become unfaithful. Judah can speak the word that Israel needs to hear. But if Judah, too, following Israel's lead, compromises its worship, as history shows it will do, then both are doomed to overcome their separation only in death. Judah will be buried in an alien land, and Israel will be saved only so far as it is joined to Judah. I think this is why this is an important story that happens at the start that is brought up again at the end of 2 Kings. That here one of the major things and themes of of 1 and 2 Kings is how they worship God. And how they listen to God's word. You think about this not merely just as us reading this story, but also those during this time. Now often... 
Although these, these um, stories of prophets, I think, are recorded in real life history, written by the prophets themselves, often these are compiled, and most likely this is compiled by the people who are in exile. So as they're reading this story of First and Second Kings, trying to find out how do we get into this land that is not ours, they hear time and time again these prophets telling them, turn, repent, turn to the Lord, seek His help, and He will save you. And He does. But often now they're a prophet in a distant land. They're a prophet who's waiting to go back to their house, to their home. But don't get stuck in this land. Obey God's word and you will return. If you don't obey God's word, then you will be buried here in another grave, not with your fathers. So the central thing, we get hung up on, well, can a prophet lie? Can this, is this prophet a real prophet? The central theme here is how do these people, how do these men relate to God's word? God's word is a central component throughout all of this. Do they listen? Do they obey? And as we continue to go through First and Second Kings, we'll see more of that tale unravel of these two kingdoms. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.